here. We are in our second week of our spiritual formation series called Who Are You Becoming? Our aim is to be apprentices of Jesus, right, who are learning to become more and more like Jesus. And as our guide, I'm drawing heavily from these two resources uh, that you'll see on the next slide here that have really been challenging me and encouraging me in my own uh, discipleship as of late. The first one is by a Canadian and a, and a Christian philosopher by the names of James K.A. Smith called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. And then the second one is a whole library of resources that's awesome for small groups uh, called practicingtheway.org uh, from a pastor by the name of John Mark Homer. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to our first message because this one builds on that one. And uh, last week we talked about a common gap or an inconsistency that all of us experience uh, or struggle with from time to time. And it's that gap between what we know and believe to be true and the inconsistency that sometimes we don't experience that in our life. We don't live it out. We ask the question, why is it that I can know and believe all the right information? I can even sincerely believe it, right? I can be inspired by a good sermon or a good book or a good podcast or my own Bible study and devotions to change and to become more Christ-like, and yet I don't experience change. And we concluded that while information is good and necessary for our apprenticeship to Jesus, Information alone does not lead to transformation. We can't think our way to holiness, right? We can't reason our way to be Christ-like. John Mark Homer, he summarizes this problem well in his book, Live No Lies. He says, the problem is, knowing something is not the same thing as doing something, which is still not the same as wanting to do something. This is why Jesus' first question to his would-be disciples was not an intellectual question, but it was a heart question. We looked at John chapter 1 yesterday where Jesus encounters his first disciples. And remember, he didn't vet his disciples by asking them, what do you know about the Bible? Or what do you believe about who I am? Rather, his first question was a heart question. He asked, what do you want? And so the key to our spiritual formation, the key to being able to change is, yes, step one, absolutely, let's pursue truth-filled information about reality, about God, about ourselves. And that's what we're doing right now. That's what you do in your small group Bible studies and your devotion time. And that's all great and important and essential but let's not stop there. Step number two is learning to align our heart's desires with God's. So today we want to evaluate our desires and our hearts. And I want to touch on three main things today if you're, if you're tracking with notes. Number one is just a biblical understanding of the heart, which is um, the video that we just watched. Number two is how do your desires influence your spiritual formation? How is it that your longings and your loves and your desires influence your discipleship or your apprenticeship to Jesus? And then number three is really practical. How do I begin to identify what my heart's desires are? 
Asher uh, read for us the most important commandment given in the Bible as it's found in two different passages in Deuteronomy. And today, we want to focus on that first part. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? As we heard in the Bible Project video, when the Bible talks about your heart, it's not like a Disney version that's just about your warm, fuzzy feelings, right? It's talking about the core of who you are. It's talking about your command center, where you think, what you feel, what you value and pursue based on your desires. And ultimately, all of that is going to shape how you act and live in the world. And so in a nutshell, your heart will determine who you are becoming. So then let's move to our second point. How does your heart's desires influence your spiritual formation? How do your desires influence your apprenticeship to Jesus? If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. It's also up on the screen. But I always encourage people to navigate real physical Bibles. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's our key verse, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love the New Living Translations, um, their translation of this verse. It says in the NLT, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So let's reflect on that a little bit. What, What is a treasure? A treasure is something that is of great value that we invest in, right? In other words, what Jesus is saying is whatever you value most, Whatever you're invested in, whatever you devote your time and your energy and your money to, that's where your heart will be. As apprentices of Jesus then, our whole aim is to become like Jesus and our goal is to have a heart that loves him and follows him and pursues God. But if that's going to be true of you and me, it all comes down to honestly evaluating the questions, what do you want? What do you love? What are you after? Or to come back to Matthew 6.21, where are your heart's desires? And so here's our tension point today. See, as Christians, you likely know the right answers to those questions, right? Again, you have the right information in your mind if you've grown up in a Christian home, in a church environment, youth group, If someone were to ask you, what do you want most in life? You might say, well, I know the right answer is that I want to follow Jesus faithfully. Or if someone were to ask you, what do you love most in life? Well, you know that the Bible teaches, well, I'm supposed to love God above all things. We know what we ought to want. We know what we ought to love, what we ought to worship. But what if our hearts reveal that we don't always truly want and love and worship what we say we do? What if our heart is not in line with our mind? Again, that gap between what we know to be true and what we experience. 
James Smith, um, the author of You Are What You Love, he talks about a fascinating 1970s Russian movie. He admits in the book, I Need Better Hobbies. But he talks about this fascinating 1970s Russian movie called The Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky. And he says, it's not as creepy as it sounds. Uh, and in fact, you can watch the whole thing for free on YouTube if you're <laughs> in the mood for a 1970s Russian movie. Um, but here's the premise. In this story, there are three main characters. There's a writer, and there's a professor, and there's a guide, or what is the stalker. And they're in this kind of post-apocalyptic world, and this guide is leading the writer and professor to this enchanted forest, this enchanted town. And they get to this room, which creatively he just calls the room, and they get to this room and he says, this is where I've been guiding you to. Okay, so, so what's in the room? Well, he says, the moment you walk into the room, you will get what you've always wanted. The moment you get into the room, it's going to give you your desires. He's like, what's, what's not to love about that, right? This sounds amazing. Who wouldn't want to step in the room? I mean, you literally get what you desire, what you love. But what happens in the movie is really interesting. See, we might expect that the writer and professor get into a fight to see who gets to go to the room first, but the opposite happens. Neither of them wants to step in the room. They both hesitate. And the guide is like, well, this isn't a trick. I'm not pulling your leg. There's, there's no catch here. You walk into the room and you get what you want. Why are you hesitating, he asks. Then one of the two characters says to the guide, what if I don't know what I really want? Ah, the guide says, don't worry about that. All you have to do is walk in and the room will reveal what it is you really desire. See, you won't get what you think you want. You're going to get what you really want. But that's precisely why the professor and the writer hesitate. What if they don't want what they think they want? What if I don't love what I think I do? And if it's true that you are what you love, then what if I'm not the person that I think I am? That's what's at stake here. This is a haunting question, but it's a very important one that I invite you to deeply reflect on because who you really are and who you really are becoming is driven in part by what you know and believe, but just as much or maybe even more, who you are becoming is driven by your heart's desires. Let's talk about another movie that you're probably more familiar with, a more recent one. Have you ever watched any of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Yeah? yeah? No? Okay. Some of you have. Well, in these movies, there's this really comedic pirate uh, by the name of Jack Sparrow. He's played by Johnny Depp. Um, and Captain Jack Sparrow, he has a compass. But it's a very special compass because it's not your regular type of compass. It doesn't point you to magnetic north. And everyone in the movie is like, your compass is broken. And he says, you know, in his great piratey accent, no, it's not broken. It points you to whatever you desire most. And so he uses it to look for treasure. And I love that image 
Because that that is exactly how Jesus describes our heart. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart is like Jack Sparrow's compass. It will lead us toward whatever we love and desire most. And this is why Proverbs 4.23 has been so upfront and in my face in my life as of late. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything, emphasis is mine, you do flows from it. In other words, be very careful and pay close attention to what you allow your heart to desire because if it's, it's your desires that are shaping you into the person you're becoming. So what is your heart really after? If you're able to identify that, you will get deep insight into who you're becoming. And maybe you can relate with the characters in that Russian movie. I have to be honest, I did. Maybe if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you don't know what you really want, or maybe you fear the same thing the characters did. What if I don't actually love what I think and say I do? So how do we find out not what we think we love, but what our hearts are actually really after? How do we identify that? Here it is. Don't miss this. You identify what your heart is after by becoming keenly aware of your habits. And I'm always speaking to the skeptic because I'm a skeptic. And so you might say, okay, wait a minute. How in the world are my habits directing my heart? Like I have a habit of picking my nose. That's not directing my heart, right? I have a habit of brushing my teeth in a certain order. Top, nope, nope, wrong. Bottom first, top, front, then back. That's the way you do it. But you see, those, we think of those as habits, but those aren't actually habits. And you're right, they're not doing much to your heart, if anything. I hope not. I, I'd be curious if they are. But those are not actually habits. Those are examples of routines we have, right? Do you put your right sock on first and then your left sock, or your left and then your right, or do you just go with one sock? I don't know. Those are just routines. <clears throat> but a habit taking into account the teachings of um, John Mark Comer, the philosopher James K. Smith, and what psychology defines as habit, we could define it this way. Habits are the things we devote ourselves to that have become second nature that are doing something to us. Again, the things we devote ourselves to that have become second nature that are doing something to us. Let's break that down a little bit. A habit is something you devote either energy, time, or money, or sometimes all three, regularly on. Second part, what do we mean when we talk about the things that have become second nature? Um, Well, Smith says, first we have to understand what is first nature. First nature is your biology. It's the hardwiring that you and I have been born with, and we do without thinking about. You can think about blinking and breathing, right? Those are first nature things. No one taught you how to blink or breathe. Your body has been hardwired and designed to know how to blink and breathe at the right time. You don't consciously think about them when you do them. Except for right now, now everyone's like, blink, blink. (laughs) Inhale, exhale. (laughs) But normally we don't think about those things. We just do them. 
Second nature things function in a very similar way in that they kind of run on autopilot and you do them without normally thinking about them, but here's the key difference between a second nature thing and a first nature thing. Second nature things are not naturally hardwired into you. You're not born with second nature habits. You learn them over time through exposure and repetition to the point where they have become so ingrained in you that you now do them without thinking about them. Typing on your keyboard uh, or driving a car are a perfect example of second nature things for me. I wasn't born with those skills. And when I was learning to type, I was keenly aware of every single key that I hit. And the delete button was the favorite one because I made too many mistakes. When I drove, right, when you just learn to drive, you think about everything. Okay, right foot on the gas pedal. Okay, blinker. Oh, shoulder check. Oh, watch my speed. Oh, 10 and 2. Right, you're thinking about everything. But after years of driving, it becomes second nature to the point where you can scare yourself. You're like, I don't remember how I got here, but I drove from point A to point B without thinking about it. Right? Habits are second nature things we do. And here's the third part, that are doing something to us. Our heart habits are not just neutral things. They're actually shaping us into who we are becoming, right? A bad habit of smoking six packs of cigarettes a day, it's not just a neutral habit. It is doing something to your body, to the health of your body. And I'm not saying that all heart habits are bad. Some are good right? Um, a habit of drinking two liters of water a day and exercising regularly. They're not just neutral, they're doing something to the health of your mind and body. The key here is that our habits are never neutral. They're always doing something to us. So we have to ask, are my habits helping me become a better apprentice of Jesus? Or are they making me an apprentice of a rival God? of an idol. Next slide here. See, we tend to believe that we don't struggle with idolatry, right? Like it's 2022 after all. We don't carve out a stone or wooden idol and pray to them. I mean, it is Nelson, so you never know. But generally speaking, we don't do those things. We don't, you know, molt or, or form a golden calf and dance around it. And so we tend to think, well, we don't struggle with idolatry anymore. But don't be fooled, idolatry is alive and well in our day and culture. It simply looks different. But our hearts are prone to worship false idols just as much in 2022 as they were in ancient civilizations. And again, you might protest and say, yeah, but I would never choose to bow down and worship a false god. Like, I know that's evil and wrong. But you see, idols, and here's the key thing about idols, Idols are rarely, if ever, something that appear as outright evil. Idols are usually good things that have become ultimate things. They're good things that have not been kept in their proper place. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, once said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Later on, his contemporary John Calvin said this, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. 
And Jesus said it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A few verses later, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon or whichever other rival God there is. So we have to ask ourselves in 2022, Western Canada, Nelson, what are some of the rival gods we might be swayed by in our day and in our culture? Well, how about the idol of consumerism? In other words, is my heart after money and the things money can buy? Or what about the idol of hedonism? This is a huge one in our culture. Hedonism is just an old fancy word that simply means the pursuit of pleasure and entertainment above all else. What about the rival god of workaholism and successism? This one is so easy to serve because it's praised by our surrounding culture. What about the idol of egoism? In other words, you believe you're the center of the universe and the world revolves around you. Or what about the idols of hyper-individualism and autonomy? In other words, you do you. Don't let anyone tell you to change. Your body, your choice. No one except for you should have any authority over what you do, who you sleep with, how you identify with, Do those messages sound familiar? Yeah. This is not an extensive list, but each of those examples are idols that are alive and well and powerfully vying for our heart's devotion and love. Why do they have such a powerful sway? Why is it so hard to say no to them? Well, because each of them offers a vision of the good life. Each of those idols promise you happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. And isn't that what we're all after? The human heart is constantly on a quest to find the good life. Every single person on the planet is trying to figure out what is going to ultimately make me happy. What's going to satisfy me? What is going to be fulfilling? And the world has many visions of the good life on offer and Jesus has an alternative vision on offer. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you know that the vision of the good life Jesus offers is the truest and the best one that you'll find. But the world around us, our culture, our phones, right, our smartphones, our social media feeds, the ads and movies we watch, our city, our own deceitful desires, as Paul calls them, and the devil are all trying to train our heart in all kinds of ways to desire rival visions of the good life. And the key here is that our heart can be trained to love certain things. It's not that you wake up one day and you make the conscious decision, I'm going to be an egoist today. Yep, that's my plan. Like, no one does that, right? Or you don't roll out of bed and you're like, I will worship the God of consumerism today. That is what I want to do. Like, we don't make those decisions with our rational mind, right? It's not so much an intellect problem, it's a heart problem. Our hearts are constantly being trained to love something as ultimate. Let's take, um, let's dive into those examples we just mentioned of the rival gods and idols in, in our culture and in our day. For some, it's the story that says, I'll be happy if I buy more things. 
if I have more stuff or have more money. I'll ultimately be satisfied when I get that new outfit. It looks so good on me. Or when I get a newer vehicle. Or when I get the newest iPhone. Or when my RRSP hits a certain dollar amount. Then I'll be satisfied. And you might say... Well, I don't actually believe that story, though. I know that money and stuff won't really make me happy. Right. You know that information in your mind. But our consumer culture has been training you to love another story of the good life. Training your heart subconsciously to always desire more stuff. Just a little bit more money. To make shopping a hobby that we do in our free time. Marketing companies um, are extremely good at tapping into your heart's desires and to train your heart. See, effective marketing knows these biblical principles. They will hardly ever speak to your intellect, but they will always speak to your heart's desires and wants, right? Pay attention. Next time you just watch an ad, pay attention to what the product actually is and to what the ad is trying to sell you on. An, an ad for a new iPhone will never convince you through logic and reason that your current phone is not good enough anymore and that you need the newest one with 13.5 cameras, I don't know. No, they want to sell you a story of the good life. And so they show you an ad of what? Attractive people who are happy, who are connected, who have amazing relationships. It looks like they're successful because they know that you desire those things. And then subtly, not so subtly, they make sure that, oh, all these attractive, happy, connected, fulfilled people, they all have the new iPhone. And you begin to think, maybe, just maybe, if I have the new iPhone, I'll be a little bit more connected, or a little bit more happy, or a little bit more fulfilled. That's not your rational mind speaking, that is your heart's desires being trained. For others, they live the story that says, I'll be happy if only I can look a certain way. And so we go on extreme diets. We, working out is no longer just a healthy thing you do, it's an obsession. You spend more and more on beauty products or fitness supplements, and you think, well, obviously I know that looking good isn't going to ultimately satisfy me. Right, we know that information in our, in our minds, right? But the selfie culture, the filters on your phone to make you look better, your social media feed, which just brings up envy, not all of it, but it tends to do that, the way that beauty is portrayed on TV or the magazine rack when you check out of the grocery store, all of that is training your heart subconsciously to pursue a particular vision of beauty and to make you think that's going to make you happy. Or for others, they live the narrative that says, I'll be happy as long as I'm entertained and I'm having fun, right? That's what the good life is all about. And you think, well, of course, everyone likes having fun and enjoying their hobby, but I don't believe that entertainment and pleasure will ultimately satisfy me. Right. You know that information in your mind, but what habits have you learned that are training your heart to pursue pleasure and entertainment above all else? 
It's that habit of every single evening needing to watch something on Netflix before going to bed. I'm guilty of that. I'm learning here. It's the habit of playing video games every opportunity you have in your free time. It's the mentality of living for happy hour or living for the weekend or living to one day just retire and be able to enjoy the beach and a golf course. And you might say, well, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not watching bad stuff when I'm, when I'm you know, consuming media. Or my weekend hobby is a healthy, active hobby. Or I've worked hard, I deserve to go to the beach and play golf. Okay, that is great. I'm not down on any of that. The content you watch is absolutely important. Choosing healthy hobbies to enjoy is absolutely a great thing, right? Resting from a life of long, hard work and being able to enjoy a hobby like golf or going to the beach, those are not bad things. Those are good. Don't get me wrong. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. But see, it's not just the content you consume or the kind of hobby you pursue. Those are important things too, but it's how much of our time and our energy and our money are we devoting to pursuing pleasure and entertainment above all else. If your hobby, healthy as it may be, is it a gift from God that you can enjoy, that you can invite others into? Or have the fresh powder days on the ski hill become untouchable sacred cows that no church community, no work, no other commitment can ever get in the way of. Okay, in my case, are my Blue Bomber football games a window of time I can enjoy with friends and family, win or lose? Or does the outcome of the game, they lost this week, does the outcome of the game affect my mood to the degree to which it'll affect how I interact with my family and my kids or my friends. Counter that with workaholism. You might think, if only I can put an extra 10 hours at work, if only I can accomplish that next goal or finish that next project, then I'll be satisfied. And again, your mind knows that workaholism is not a good thing. Your mind probably knows that once you're done that project, there will always be more work to be done. Right? And again, it's not that working hard is bad. It is a good thing. There's tons of scripture to back up. Hard work, diligent work is good. But how much time and energy are you devoting to your work above and beyond what is needed or expected? How much of your energy and time for your kids, your spouse, your friends, that healthy hobby even, your church community, are you sacrificing because you prioritize work and productivity over relationships? When's the last time that you took a real Sabbath, like a full day of rest and renewal and refreshment to enjoy God's gifts and pausing for a 24-hour period? The power of idols, and we're, we're getting to a close here, the power of idols is not because we tend to love and worship outright evil things. That's, that's, that would be easy to say no to. The power of idols is that they are usually good things that have become ultimate things in our life. The comforting news here, now that all of us feel guilty, myself included, the comforting news here 
is that myself included, all of us, have misplaced loves that we have trained our hearts to pursue as ultimate things. The good news is, none of this surprises God, and if our hearts have learned to love and pursue false idols, then it means they're not hardwired into you. It means that you can unlearn them and relearn heart habits that pursue God above all things, that put those good gifts back in their proper place. Who are you becoming? Is there a gap between what you know and believe to be true and the reality of your everyday life? Do you feel kind of stuck in your faith where you might be honest and say, I'm not experiencing growth in my discipleship? If so, I invite you to take an audit this week of your heart habits. On your way in, you should have gotten two pieces of paper. I, apparently, I didn't print enough of the actual bulletins, but I should have printed enough of this two-sided paper called uh, a heart habit audit. And if you're joining us online and you're not here and you would like a copy of that, email me and I will send that to you as well. As apprentices of Jesus, our aim is to become more like him. And part of this apprenticeship is training our minds to know and believe the right information. That is essential. And that's what we're doing right now. That's what you do in your Bible studies, in your small groups, in your own devotion time. We're training our minds to know and believe what is true, what is good, what is noble. The other part is the part that gets neglected far too often by followers of Jesus, and it's training your heart to love God. It's realigning your heart's desires with God's. And for most of us, this means we need to become aware of all the ways that our hearts have been subconsciously trained to love rival God's. Becoming aware of all the things you do that are doing something to you. And that's our application. That is your homework this week. Um, so take one of those sheets with you. And I printed out just like an example of what it might look like. And I encourage you to complete that exercise. It's called a heart habit audit. What it is, is it's a simple guide to help you go through a given day or a given week, or you could do a monthly one, and to list all the things that you devote either time or energy or money on on a regular basis, and then simply pausing after each one to ask yourself this simple question, what is that habit doing to me? Is it helping me to become more like Jesus? Is it helping me to enjoy his gifts to enjoy relationships, to rest, to work diligently, to love God and love my neighbor? Awesome. Maybe I need to do a bit more of that. Or is it not? Is that habit helping you in your spiritual formation? Or if you're brutally honest, is it maybe not really doing anything good for you or maybe even spiritually deforming you? Our first step is simply becoming aware of our habits and what they're doing to us. And then next week, I invite you to come back and we're going to focus on how do we then retrain our hearts to want and love and pursue Jesus. So I hope you come back for that. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good to us, that you have designed us with a heart that wants to love and worship you. But God, we admit that we are sinful human beings and we are swayed by our own deceitful desires, by rival messages that we hear on our media feeds, on our phones, in our culture, that are pulling us away from you. God, would you give us the courage to spend some time this week to evaluate what is it that we're devoting time and energy and money to regularly? And then we ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to realize what are those things doing to me? God, we know that you are a good father who desires for his children to have good gifts. Help us to defeat the lie that that you don't want us to have a good and fulfilling life, but rather help us to trust and know and experience that the life you offer is life lived to its fullest measure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.